We are continuing to cover what is happening in Washington. We know that there have been multiple injuries in the violence we've seen so far, the violence that is continuing at the Capitol. And joining me now is Reggie Cicchini, Global News Washington correspondent. Reggie, thanks so much. Jill, good afternoon. Uh, What's happening now? I mean, uh, this is something like I've never seen before uh, in covering, you know, the protests that I have covered in my in my career uh, and especially the protests that I've covered in in D.C. The sheer number of people that have stormed the U.S. Capitol building uh, is unfathomable, given the fact that the United States Capitol is under uh, a lockdown because of the COVID-19 situation. But just the simple fact that there were so many protesters that they were able to breach the security, breach uh, the uh, the machines that would kind of check you for when you're walking in and to make their way into the actual uh, Senate chambers and the House chambers to sit uh, at the dais. This this is uh, something that that is that is I've never seen this before. I, I you know you're at a loss for words to see uh, the violence uh, and the sheer terror that is being taken on this city right now. Uh, we heard earlier just a few moments ago uh, the Republican uh, the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, calling on the president to do something to end this, calling on the violence uh, to stop. Uh, what is the scene as far as I, I know? Uh, we're getting reports as well that some officers have been injured uh, in the violence. Uh, Is there any indication of this violence stopping? Well, I mean, look, President Trump has had uh, more than a couple of hours to try and call down this violence. Uh, And we know that the president himself stopped the National Guard from being dispatched when the D.C. mayor had put the request in to the secretary of the army. Uh, We are in the understanding now that the president is allowing for the D.C. National Guard to come in, but not before Virginia stepped in and said that it's National Guard would be coming in to deal with the situation. There are reports uh, that there has been an officer that was injured in one of the U.S. Senate buildings. We know that there has been gunfire inside the uh, inside the U.S. Capitol. There is graphic video that's going around right now of one person, uh, which appears to be a protester, having uh, uh, suffered from a bullet wound, which shows that there is an active shooting situation uh, inside the building. Uh, Right now, though, President Trump's tweets for people to pay attention to law enforcement is not a tweet for this to stop. Uh, and and save from, you know, or or short from that happening, uh, it's unclear what is going to stop this from actually taking place. Uh, Can you estimate how many people, how big this crowd is right now? Well, I mean, we're so we're on the north side of the building right now. We're at, we actually retreated back to our bureau just because the situation uh, uh, became a little too out of control for us. But when we were on the east side of the Capitol, which faces the U.S. Supreme Court, there were several thousand people. We know there were several thousand people on the back side of the Capitol where the inauguration is set to take place. But we also know uh, from the pictures that we could see that it was several hundred, if not up to a thousand people that made their way into uh, the U.S. Capitol, walking through Statuary Hall, making their way into the chambers. We also know that members of the U.S. Senate and House are in law down right now. Many of them are wearing protective masks uh, in case there's something that's let off inside the building. This is an incredibly tense and fluid situation, uh, and we are still waiting on additional federal resources to come in and try and deal with this. Uh, I saw earlier footage of windows being broken, and you talked about how uh, these rioters were able to get in. Was it basically that uh, just the, the, the mob, the group was so big, they were over, able to overcome uh, all of those measures that are in place to keep people out? Yeah, look, this this is a situation that clearly uh, U.S. Capitol Police were bracing for, but I don't think that there was any kind of indication that this kind of uh, uh, of, of kind of mob mentality would take place. But look, President Trump sat uh, in front of that crowd earlier today when he was giving his speech, saying that he would not concede, saying that Republicans were weak, saying that he wanted people uh, to be angry about the situation. But you also had someone like Rudy Giuliani get up and tell the crowd that it would be trial by combat. So there is a, a serious uh, lack of accountability 
accountability and responsibility being taken by the federal government, most notably by President Trump, who incited most of this violence that we're seeing right now. And unfortunately, the toll is being taken on the U.S. government. Uh, are there measures, and I don't know if you can tell from where you are, as far as uh, though I know they've said there's now a six o'clock curfew. Uh, are there measures to at least keep the crowd at the size it is now and to stop more of these rioters from coming? Well, I mean, look, there, there are a good number of people that are streaming by us right now heading towards Union Station, very likely to try and head out of the district, given the fact that there is uh, this this uh, kind of emergency curfew that was put in place by the district's mayor. But it's unclear what can happen to stop people from coming into the district right now, given the fact that obviously there are no borders between us, Maryland and Virginia, and there is just a steady stream of people that come in, but also given the fact that there is still a lack of full uh, uh, federal law enforcement, uh, even on the streets in front of us. I mean, I'm standing at the corner uh, of one of the busiest intersections by Union Station across from the Capitol. All streets are open right now. Traffic is an absolute nightmare with people trying to get in and around uh, and through this intersection. So, you know, save from, from the police coming in and actually shutting down the streets, it's unclear what, they're, what's gonna, what they can do to stop, this, uh, stop people from coming in. All right, Reggie, stay safe, uh, please, where you are. And thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you. We just heard U.S. President-elect Joe Biden call on President Trump to go on national television now to defend the Constitution and to demand an end to the siege. That's what he called it at the Capitol building. Uh, that has not happened. The most we've heard since uh, Trump stood up and had uh, and spoke earlier today, uh, we have heard from the president on Twitter, uh, but again, not stopping the violence or doing anything beyond that to try and stop the violence that is continuing at the Capitol building. Let's check in now with Jesse Miller, who is the founder of Mediated Reality. Jesse, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jill. Uh, I know that uh, we were supposed to talk to you a bit earlier on in the program. Uh, we wanted to make sure we brought uh, Joe Biden's words uh, to people live as they happened. Uh, social media does play a huge part in events like this, unfortunately, uh, in violence like this. What are your thoughts on the role it plays in what we're seeing right now? Well, obviously, in the past five years, we've seen uh, the Trump administration and Trump himself use social media to his advantage to not only uh, motivate people to disbelieve information that's factual, but very much radicalize parts of uh, the United States into a very divisive space. And so right now, as protests are occurring, we're actually seeing live broadcast on social media platforms that might not be for the everyday user. Uh, we're seeing some white supremacists uh, live, uh, live broadcast on Twitch. We're seeing Parler, which is a, a, a favorite social media platform for conservatives being used actively to instigate some of the behaviors. And at the same time, we're seeing people who are very much... Um, you know, supposed to go along with their neighbors, uh, you know, subscribing to things online that have really uh, huge rooted uh, spaces in disinformation campaigns. And so it's kind of ironic that we see people who are flying a Blue Lives Matter flag storming Capitol Police. But this is exactly what uh, Trump is kind of aiming for in how to radicalize individuals using the social media tools that are available. Uh, what about, and you mentioned this, uh, the fact that we're seeing exactly almost live, if not live, uh, I'm looking at a, a video of an FBI SWAT team in the Capitol right now. It was just posted a few minutes ago. Uh, the, the rioters, when they got in, one person uh, posted what uh, he said was the computer screen of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, does that fuel the fact that they know once they get into these situations, they were able to breach the Capitol, that they can then post photos and, and get some kind of, I don't know if they would think of it as notoriety? 
Yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, this is reminiscent of the Vancouver uh, 2011 hockey riot, where we started seeing people committing acts uh, of vandalism, crime, and then putting it online. And to be fair to Vancouver, we were like the, the first uh, uh, center for a social media event of this kind of nature. Uh, for some of these uh, these streamers, though, I mean, a lot of them have over you know 500,000 followers at any given moment watching them online. And so for one who's very prominent in, in the uh, radicalized community, he goes by the username Bake Alaska. He's in there live streaming, and you can actually see people who are making commentary highlighting what to steal from the offices or what to light on fire. And so there are parts of this that are very much uh, propagated from afar, as much as there are instigators who are verified on social media platforms themselves. Uh, There are reporters as well and staffers who have been evacuated from certain areas that are holed up and uh, under lockdown and sheltering uh, in other parts of the building. I know one reporter was was tweeting out pictures, but cropping them, saying she was afraid people were going to identify where they were and and find her or find herself and uh, the others that she was sheltering with. Uh, How does that play into it uh, as far, I guess, this this desire to share information, but also be safe at the same time? Yeah, it's a, it's a journalism double-edged sword. Like when we see a school lockdown, we actually unfortunately see media agencies send uh, messages to people. Can you tell us what's going on in the building? The police aren't saying much. But the reality of it is in the United States, a lot of journalists have actually learned from mass shooting events about how to be more careful in how they're broadcasting something. And so it doesn't require police saying, hey, don't do this. I mean, a lot of the United States journalism culture is very cognizant of being careful of how you tell people where you are as best as you are trying to update for safety purposes. But realistically here, um, you know, we are seeing people online highlighting that certain social media influencers should actually be right now censored or time delayed. And we're even seeing that as high up as the president's office themselves, where people are saying the president should be censored and how he's allowed to either fuel this or bring it down. And I, I think it's important to recognize that Biden's calling for a traditional media dialogue of going live on television. Uh, and he is calling for that. I think the president, uh, Donald Trump, I think has released a video not to going live, but has sent out a video of himself. The, the last thing he did was about an hour ago, uh, he tweeted asking for everybody to remain peaceful. Uh, that to me seems pretty useless. I, I agree with it. And, you know, the thing is, is that when we see this contrast to, let's say, Black Lives Matter protests, this is very different. This is, you know, pure acts of violence. And in that, when he got those crowds dispersed outside the White House and walked across the street to the church and held up the Bible, he was able to use law enforcement and his power as president to really set a tone. And this just shows that this is something that he is aiming for. So if he really did care to kind of calm the, calm the, 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 the crowd here, he could walk out the same way he did before and tell people to stand back or, you know, as he did with the Proud Boys, stand, uh, stand aside and, uh, you know, demonstrate leadership for the first time in his four years of presidency. Uh, and, and again, just looking at the social media aspect, clearly uh, a lot of people are glued to various social media sites. Uh, you named some of them uh, following along with this. Uh, people are horrified. Uh, many people saying, well, if you're surprised by this, so you haven't been paying attention to what's going on the last few years. So what do you think as far as how it's being covered and what happens with coverage when we see something like this? Well, well, I agree to that point because uh, anybody who looks at radicalization online will say these are this is a tipping point. Uh, in Canada, we saw this as well with a person driving through the gates of Rideau Hall with guns in the vehicle, although there wasn't a large amount of people with that individual. So in the United States, we've seen this radicalization. And to be fair, the United States has traditionally been, you know, the first group of people who have tried to highlight how these kind of problems occur, whether it's in the Middle East or whether it's with individuals who are planning attacks online. But they have very much taken a kind of a sidestep to what it looks like with QAnon or the rise of conspiracy theory, because unfortunately it is from the top down.
All right, Jesse, uh, we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you so much. That is Jesse Miller. We are continuing uh, to watch what's happening at Capitol Hill outside and inside the Capitol building where rioters have been all day. Uh, They broke through several security checkpoints and made their way into the building. There have been injuries and at least one report of one rioter being injured by gunshots. Uh, It is just sunset in the Capitol right now, which uh, you can imagine could make things a whole lot more difficult when it comes to getting that crowd out of there. Let's bring in Kashid, former West Vancouver Police Chief, also former head of the VPD Crowd Control Unit. Thanks so much for being with us today. Good afternoon, Jill. Uh, what do you, uh, how do you respond to what you're seeing in the United States? Well, I'll tell you, the planning that went into this, if there was any, is just, uh, you know, terrible. Uh, They should have uh, done their potential problem analysis. They should have realized that there was going to be uh, activity around Capitol Hill. We've had Trump, who's been calling people to gather for the last two weeks. We had uh, people uh, in Washington the last three or four days. We had the rally set. You knew they were going to go towards it. Part of preventing all of this, if not 90% of preventing all of this, is ensuring that you have a plan in place that you do not allow the demonstrators to get near some of your key targets. And this is essential if you want to uh, prevent any type of activity, as we've all been watching today on Capitol Hill. If you don't do that, you're, all you're doing is reacting to a problem that is out of control, and that's what is going on at this particular time. Uh, is part of it, do you think, that we were several hours into this, and like you said, it shouldn't have come as a huge surprise to anybody, but we were several hours in before we even saw backup of the National Guard and other police units? Well, the U.S. Capitol Police have 2,000 members. They've got adequate resources to deal with this. They've got people that they could have called in, put in position, put up the roadblocks around Capitol Hill. None of that seems to have taken place. You have the Metropolitan Washington Police dealing with the situation around the rally, uh, the Trump rally. You had other agencies that were prepared to come in, but they were not called in, and I think it's a lack of command and control, and I really question whether you uh, are going to keep some of these police leaders in place after today, of where, in fact, you didn't have, for example, the people that are coming in now, the FBI, the ATF, Department of Homeland Security, the National Guard, the state police. We knew there was going to be activity there. What that was, we're not sure. But when you have to react, when it's become completely out of control, uh, you can see that this is what we're dealing with. This is an embarrassment to the world, not just to the United States, on the lack of what we think contemporary law enforcement is at this point. What do you think they have to do now, though, with a curfew is going to be in place in about 40 minutes? I would doubt anybody in that crowd is going to pay attention to that. Uh, The sun has gone down. It's going to be darker at that time as well. What do police officers and law enforcement have to do at this point? Well, number one, they have to gain control of the situation. They have to retake the buildings and they're going to have to use physical force. And I've noticed that they've moved in the crowd control units from the various agencies uh, throughout the area. Uh, They've moved people off the stairs and they're doing it as systematically and as 
or using the least amount of force as possible, but there are going to be resistors, and this is where you're going to have to use physical force in order for this to take place. The people that committed some of these acts of uh, violence and property damage, they will be held to account because if you look at the CCTV cameras all around Capitol Hill, you will be able to identify these people, and I think that's why you have some of the other agencies that are coming in. You're going to identify these perpetrators, uh, you are going to arrest these perpetrators and hold them to account. But first thing you have to do is gain control of the situation, move the people back, secure a perimeter, an inner and outer perimeter, and make sure that that perimeter is not breached. Is it? What is your response to what many are pointing out, and I think it's impossible to ignore, if we look at the response of law enforcement in the United States and look at uh, rallies, protests uh, against uh, the killing of George Floyd, uh, looking at Black Lives Matter protests, uh, a much different response to what we saw today. Absolutely. And that is very concerning. And that's why I alluded to the fact that you've got to look at some police leadership and question whether their jobs are going to be at jeopardy because of the response to this. And for sure, we had appropriate responses, uh, in my opinion, to some of those incidents regarding Black Lives Matter and that continue in that particular area. But you didn't have it here. Now, Jill, we have this inauguration coming up in two weeks. You've got to really question whether we have uh, people prepared to deal with that because the the threat of violence will remain there throughout that inauguration. Uh, Kashid, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much. Uh, I know originally we were going to talk to you about something else today, but thanks uh, for being able to pivot and uh, give us your response to what's happening uh, to a very uh, fluid situation in Washington. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us. Very busy day, as you heard off the top of the news at noon. Protesters, rioters have now made their way onto the Senate floor. They are uh, in that area, and we are going to keep on top of that throughout the show. And we will bring you any updates uh, from Washington as they are available throughout the afternoon. But we are starting today with another story a bit closer to home, one that is getting plenty of reaction. It has to do with politicians who have traveled during the winter break. We already know uh, the list includes Ontario's finance minister. He resigned from that post after it was learned he was in St. Bart's. Yesterday, we found out the chief executive officer of the Niagara Health System and the St. Joseph's Health System resigned after it was revealed he travelled, not a politician, but somebody involved in COVID-19 planning. Uh, That follows the list of provincial politicians we know of from various provinces. And we now know of two Vancouver Island civic politicians who also also recently traveled while the advisory to avoid non-essential travel was in place. Earlier today, we heard from Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps her reaction to that news. You know, I've been standing here at this podium for the last 303 days uh, talking about the sacrifices the public has made, uh, asking the public to follow the rules, to stay home, to wash their hands, to take care of each other. And we've shown as Victorians tremendous, tremendous resiliency through that period. And it, to me, it's, it's unacceptable that a, a councillor exercised poor judgment and, and didn't follow the rules that we've been asking everyone else to follow. Joining me on the line now is my chosen councillor, Kira Kahakawa-Will. Uh, Kira, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, You traveled to Mexico for a wedding in December. Why did you do that? 
Uh, it was a, a personal trip, but it was a it was business related. It was um, an in- industry colleagues of ours uh, that were having a wedding in Mexico. Did you think about the fact there was an advisory to avoid non essential travel at the time, and that you, an elected councillor of Machosen, would be ignoring that advisory? So absolutely, we we thought my, it was my husband and I who went, and we definitely thought about um, the advisory. We we researched um, the provincial public health orders. We researched the uh, federal government guidelines. And, you know, for, for us, it wasn't a decision in regards on a, on a political spectrum. It was, it was a business-based decision. And when we looked at the advisories, absolutely, it was, it was discouraged to do international travel. However, if you did, then there was a requirement and responsibilities that you needed to adhere to following that, that travel and return to Canada. So we looked at it from that perspective. Um, you know, hindsight now with everything that's been happening, perhaps we should have looked at it with a different lens. Um, but at the time, that was the decision that was made and, and the basis of making that decision to travel. A lot of reaction to this. People are angry, saying, I didn't see my family. I didn't travel. I didn't have any plans. In some cases, people cancelled plans. People are angry, saying that this is a, a do-what-we-say-not-what-we-do type scenario. How do you respond to that? Absolutely. People are angry. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of COVID fatigue. People are in general angry and frustrated and concerned and scared. And all of that is, it's, it's pent up and it's, it's manifesting itself now. So I, I get the reason why I'm the bullseye right now. And I, and, I, and I understand that and I can appreciate that. In regards to do as I say, not as I do, I was never in a position to tell people not to do something. Um, and, and even in taking this trip... You know, I, I didn't see family over Christmas either, and it, I, I was finished my quarantine, but it, we made the decision to keep our stuff small as well. This was a business decision, and, um, you know, obviously I am an elected official. I, I get that, and, and as I said previously, perhaps we should have looked at it from a different lens, and we didn't. So, you know, I, I apologize for, for not looking at it through that lens, when the decision was made, I did let Marin Council know that, that our plan was to continue with the trip. Um, and, you know, we, we went over our safety plan with them and, you know, made sure that we had the provisions in place to make sure that we did not, um, you know, continue with community spread um, once we came home. Um, and we were very careful not to do any community spread when we were there. We, you know, we checked our temperature every day. You know, we, we wore masks. It was... We did everything that we possibly could at the time. Um, hindsight is obviously, and 2020 is in the past, is, is, uh, is 2020, and perhaps we should have looked at it differently. But you went to a country where there's very little as far as uh, policies or regulations uh, dealing with COVID-19. You went to a wedding. Uh, you, you, I think, even called it a networking event. Isn't that in itself risky behavior during a pandemic? Um, it, it was a consideration, um, and so we, we did look at the numbers from from Mexico. I, I will say, from from having been in Mexico, they are doing a phenomenal job um, with with keeping their their economy open, but also with keeping um, uh, fairly strict protocols. From what I could see, and from talking to some of the staff that were there um, that I was able to speak with um, in regards to what they were doing, I mean, you never saw anyone without a mask, and it, you walked to the door of any establishment anywhere. Um, and there was hand sanitizer and there was signs to wash your hands and physically distance and, and markings on the floor. So they were, where we were, um, they were definitely taking it 
seriously. Um, you know, it, it definitely, it was a consideration. So, but it was a consideration, like, because we were the ones doing the traveling and we were going to have to self-isolate to keep ourselves to make sure that we didn't pass on anything that we may have contracted. Um, so that was a consideration and a concern. And we did what we could to protect ourselves. And then when we came home, we followed the rules to quarantine to not spread anything that we may have contracted. Uh, when you say, though, you talked to the mayor and council before you left and explained that you and your husband had decided to continue on with the trip, did any of the people you told uh, bring up the fact that maybe this wasn't a good idea and as an elected official, you should be leading by example and not traveling? Not in that context. Um, you know, they, they had concerns about our, our health and safety, um, but if we didn't have a discussion about um, whether or not the optics looked good or not, it, because it wasn't a it wasn't a political trip, um, and albeit yes, it was in Mexico and yes, it was for a wedding. I mean, I'm not going to dispute those facts. So part of it, you know, you could consider as a vacation over Christmas, but it was centralized around business. Um, and so when I had those discussions, it wasn't the, the topic of you know is this the right thing to do because you're a political leader that didn't come up. It was you know, be safe, plan well. But don't you think a lot of business owners are in big trouble right now, are in huge financial, uh, financial, I mean, uh, businesses have closed. Businesses don't know what they're going to look like in a month, in two months. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of business owners that would have loved to have traveled for a networking trip and didn't because of the advisory. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, I was asked that question um, earlier this morning and, you know, my answer to this is, is if somebody is considering to travel for whatever reason, um, but if it's for your business, you need to make that decision. Is this something that is going to help your business or not? And if, and if you feel that you need to continue with the travel, then you need to look at what you need to do to keep yourself safe and what is required when you come home. Um, I, as a business owner, I absolutely can empathize. We're in an industry where only we're not considered essential. Um, we're a nice to have, not a need to have, yet we do a lot of community support. And we weren't able to do that as much last year. We did a little bit, but because we just don't have the resources right now. And I don't know what the next one to two quarters are going to bring. And so we we didn't take this trip lightly. Um, It was something that we couldn't get refunded for, although we had seriously talked about canceling it regardless. And, you know, we when 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 we when we looked down at it, it was like, okay, there are people here who who we do work internationally with and they are in a position where they if they have clients that are starting to travel again and we do see people coming to Victoria um, for different reasons um, and you know we need to have a presence to show that in fact we are still here and we are still relevant and we're still in business. Do you separate then you, uh, Kira, the counselor, and you, Kira, the business person? Because a lot of people are saying as a counselor, again, uh, one of your jobs, no matter whether you're civic, provincial, or federal, your job is to lead by example, and this failed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are times where, you know, I, I, I have to separate my hats because I'm a mom too. Um, and, you know, it, it's sometimes it's easy to do, sometimes it's not. Um, and sometimes they're interchangeable. You know, in this respect, I, I made the decision to travel. I made the decision to travel even though it was advised. It, it's a public advisory to not travel. But I knew what the responsibilities were if I did make that choice to travel. And I took those responsibilities seriously, and I implemented a plan to make sure that my kids were safe, which meant 
I, we weren't exposing them and they weren't exposing their colleagues at work or their classmates and peers and teachers at school. Um, and we and we made sure that we weren't impacting anybody else in the community. After two weeks of quarantine, we, had no, we still had no symptoms. Um, and so we came home. To our knowledge, we've never contracted COVID and we did pass it on to anybody. A lot of people are still, even after hearing this, calling for your resignation from a chosen mm-hmm. council. Will you? Uh, no. And I have spoken at length with, with the mayor um, about this. And it's one of those things where, and I get that people are angry. Absolutely. And if anybody wants to give me a call or send me an email, I've been getting them. I, I'm happy to have this discussion with anybody. And, and having it with you now is good as well. Um, you know, resigning is not going to, to, to solve anything. I took the trip. Um, as I said earlier in an earlier interview, you know, human nature is to, to make decisions. And if you make a decision that is questionable, then you own that. And then you have to, you know, make changes and become a better person um, and, and learn from that and grow from that as a person. There, there is nothing else that we can do with human nature. That, that is who we are. We make choices. Some are good, some are bad, and we learn from the bad bad choices and we move on from there. If I resign, what is that going to accomplish? People are still going to be angry. Um, we'll have a vacant seat on council. We'll have to have a by-election. Um, and, you know, humbly, I have represented Machosen for, this is now my fifth term. And so it, what would it accomplish other than maybe to satisfy some people who are very angry? But again, I don't even think it would satisfy because... If I resign, there's still somebody else who who hasn't, and even the federal and um, and provincial ministers that have been involved in this, they've resigned their posts and their and their committee chairs, but they haven't resigned their actual um, elected position. Right. All right. Well, Kira, we'll have to leave it there. We're right out of time. I do appreciate you coming on the show. You could have easily not uh, faced this and not done interviews today. Uh, do appreciate uh, you doing this. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.